Our Father in heaven, we come to your presence in awe. When we think of your greatness, incomprehensive greatness, your might, your omnipresent, your wisdom, your holiness, your mercy, and your love, we are humble. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you, God. You sent your only Son, Jesus, as atoning sacrifice for our sins, bringing us from dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. We thank you, God. You have given us many gifts to some apostles, to some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Praise God. Many of these gifts are well fit into our six ministry teams. We praise God for the labor of love of all our pastors, ministry leaders, and their teams. May God reward their faithfulness and hard work. We pray for unity, harmony for VCBC. We pray for your divine intervention for reconciliation, restoration of broken, strained relationships at church, at home, at school, at workplace. Please empower us to forgive truly and completely, to accept, to love genuinely. We claim your promise that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. To this, to you the glory, we pray for provision of a lead pastor, patience, understanding for our congregation, wisdom and discernment for church committee. We pray for healing for the sick, the home bound, good health, strength, patience for the caregivers. We pray for provision of jobs for those seeking for employment. Please strengthen their faith, grant them patience. We pray for salvation of our relatives, friends, and seekers amongst us. We pray for your protection, good health, your presence with Christy Liu serving in Guatemala till April the 10th. We pray for provision of one more plastic surgeon for EMS team in May. We pray for your guidance, your protection, grace, peace, endurance for those undergo trials, suffering of different kinds. Help us, Lord, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Help us focus our energy in ministry. Each one of us use our gifts to build up the body of Christ. Help us put on the armor of Christ every day that we are able to resist the devil and stand firm 
and lead a victorious life for your glory. We praise you for your wisdom upon Pastor Calvin. Continue to make him a blessing for us. May your Holy Spirit bless the message and prepare our heart for your word. Please empower us to be the doer of your word, that we are the light and the soul of the world, that we are effective witnesses for the Lord from Jerusalem to the end of the earth and preparing your second coming of Jesus. In all this, to you be the glory. In the name of Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Let me ask you as we begin this morning in the church culture where you grew up. Uh, for some of you that was Hong Kong, for others it might be China. For me it was a Baptist church in Scotland. What were some of the things that you just knew that you did not do? They're not written in the bylaws, but the church culture just says in our church we don't do that. I mean, to church turn. What were some of the things? For instance, uh, did you dance? No. Naomi, okay? Good Baptists don't dance. They don't know how to dance. Unless that's Scottish country dancing. That's different. Okay? But they wear skirts. I used to do that. Uh, I went to a private boys' school. Probably half the boys would wear, they're not called skirts, they're called kilts. Okay? Uh, slides. Okay. Uh, what were some of the things you did not do in your church as you were growing up? You didn't do it. Alcohol. You didn't drink, okay? Did you play cards? No. No. Naomi, where did you grow up? <laughs> Me and you just really... Yeah. <laughs> what else? You didn't smoke, okay? Hats. You wore hats? You don't wear hats, but you cover your heads. Okay, my wife Harry grew up in a very conservative Brethren Assembly. And if you know what that means, that means that uh, women, girls and women coming in would have their, uh, would always have a head covering on. Okay? And uh, ladies, that also means, and men, but no earrings, no makeup. Okay? That's the kind of culture that Harry grew up in. What else? Man, you guys, are, are you kind of sleepy this morning or what? I'm the only one that's awake. What you just did not do in your church? Sorry? You don't do drugs. Good for you, Rosita. <laughs> I'm really glad for that. <laughs> Anyhow, else? what do you not do? Male and female didn't stay together. Okay, that doesn't sound like fun. Um, that's kind of the Hutterite Mennonite way, okay? There would be men on one side and women on the other. So, see, every church culture, no matter what city you're in, where you grew up, there's things in your church culture you just did not do. And you knew that. That was just part of the, the DNA, as I would call it, of the church. But I think you would understand with me that no matter what city we're in, what culture we're in, there's some things for Christians that really are very, very clear areas of sexuality and so on. We know what the scriptures say. We know what we do, what we don't do. Many other things are cultural. Alright? 
but some things are very clear. They're, they're what we would call black and white. And there's, you know, you just are on one side or the other, that kind of thing. But when Christians disagree, because let's just admit this morning, sometimes Christians disagree. It is not usually over the big theological issues. When churches are ready to have a fight and split, it is not over usually main theological questions. It is very often over those things that we will call this morning are in the gray area. Where the scriptures do not come down on one side or the other, we're left to kind of our own devices. And that's where often where Christians disagree sometimes strongly. That's where churches split over those kinds of things. And this morning we want to talk about that and the kingdom and what we'll call this morning um, kingdom relationships. It really seems that in our lives that we are excellent at what we call majoring on the minors. You know, really getting really big and all upset over the smaller things, as it were, that go on in our life and in our relationships, particularly as we'll talk this morning about Christians. So I'd like to take you on a visit to a church. Okay? You get on the bus, we're off to a church, and we're off to a church in the city of Rome. And they're struggling with a kingdom principle, as you'll see in a moment this morning. They're struggling with an issue, and it's a kingdom issue. And the issue really is whether or not you can eat meat. Now understand this morning, it's not whether you're a vegetarian or not. That's not the issue. But this issue is dividing churches. It's dividing Christians. Some people no doubt have stopped coming to church over it. Um, there's emails about it 2,000 years ago, whatever you did. Okay, this could split the church. Now the issue is this. Some people, because of their Jewish background from which they've come into the faith, have concerns about meat being kosher, okay? There's also the question in this pagan city that when you bought a piece of meat at the butcher's, a small part of it was cut off, and then that was taken and offered as a sacrifice to a pagan god. And you took the rest of it home, and you put it on the barbecue, and you enjoyed your steak. For some people, that's no big deal. So for some Christians, this is the issue. Now, Christ speaks that it's set them free. To enjoy your keyboard steak or whatever it is. Others felt those, this dark cloud of judgment hanging over you if you did that. And so you can imagine the tension at the next church potluck supper. Okay? What do you bring? Do you bring meat or do you not bring meat? And people are looking at each other and wondering, what side of this argument are you on? That's the issue. And so, you want to turn this morning, you need a Bible, an iPad, whatever you follow me on, but you really need to do that. And you need to sort of keep it open for where we are this morning. And we want to go into Romans chapter 14. That's a very quick background to a very complicated issue. It's in Romans chapter 14. I'm going to begin just for some time this morning, verse 13. But there's stuff ahead of that we will come back to in a moment. Paul says, Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your own mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother and sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Don't by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, don't let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Got it? 
That's the issue. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter, we might say also, of pianos or organs or drums or guitars or anything else. But what is the heart of the kingdom of God, Paul says, is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God's human approval. Now, down to verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to stumble. So the heart of the, the, the issue... Paul is saying is not really about what we eat or drink, what we like, what our preferences or opinions are. But it's really about what he says, kingdom relationships. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit as that is the work together. So imagine after reading a passage like this that you could sit down with the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, can I go back over that with you again? And I'd like to do a little bit of Q&A with you about church life. And so we could do that this morning. Let me suggest to you, here's at least four questions that we could ask the Apostle Paul after he's written this chapter. We, could, we want to be clear on some things. So can we back up and let's go over some things again? Got it? That's what we're going to do. So here's the first question we're going to ask Paul. We ask him, should I just do what everybody else does and follow the crowd? Do I just kind of go with the flow? Paul says, No. The first message Paul has for us is this. Whatever decisions we make about these things in what we call the gray area must be rooted in our own personal convictions. Verse 5, look up to that, verse 5. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced. The word really means you have to be filled up to the brim in your own mind. In other words, you have thoughtfully come to a decision. You've done your homework. And you've thoughtfully come to a decision about this issue in your own mind. You know, one of the steps of growth in our own lives is to move beyond the opinions and even the convictions of other people. And we figure out what it means to stand on our own two feet. That is exciting. That's also painful, hard work. Because frankly, it's a lot easier just to be like sheep. And say, well, the church says we don't do this, so I guess we go along with it. And if that doesn't go... Well, who do we blame? We blame other people. One of the things I tried to teach our children growing up, I don't know how successful I was, but I tried to teach our children was, particularly when they were in schools, it's a lot of peer pressure, but simply this, don't follow the crowd. Think for yourself and make up your own mind. Know why you do what you do. Being mature people of conviction means we stop just looking around at other people and we think for ourselves, you do your own homework on an issue and then you decide. That's vital for everyone. Can I say to you this morning, especially younger Christians, don't have a faith that's just a copycat faith. In other words, what your parents might expect or what your church expects, you need a faith and a lifestyle that you can hammer out for yourself. That's your personal responsibility. And I'll tell you, that's hard work. But it means when you get to that, you've filled yourself up to the brim, you can stand on your own feet, and you've got personal convictions. If you feel you have the freedom to do something, you need to know why. If you feel you should not do something, you need to know why. I'll give you a, a sentence I've written which will come back again and again like an echo in this sermon. I think it's on the screen. The depth 
and the quality of our Christian lives will be forged by the choices we will make in those areas where there is no clear list to follow. Got that? Let me come back. The depth and the quality of our Christian lives, our maturity in other words, will be forged by the choices that we make in those areas where there is no clear list in the Bible. The Bible says do this or don't do that. Then you just, the issue then is obedience. But the maturity of our faith, we will figure out when we make our own decisions in those areas where there is no clear list to follow. You'll hear that again and again this morning. That's where we have to think through and hammer out our own Christian lifestyle. And we're not talking about issues of basic Christian truth or doctrine. Okay, they're set for us. We're talking about issues of lifestyle. Do you do this? Do you not do that? You need to have your own convictions about that. Don't follow the crowd. Second question you ask Paul. Paul, does this mean I'm free to do whatever I want? One of the great slogans or mantras, I think, almost of today is freedom. Christians like to say in these optional areas, you know, we're free in Christ. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, we're free in Christ. But we need a mature understanding of what that freedom is and how it operates. Let me give you um, this morning and three qualifications about this Christian freedom. Number one is this. Everything is, is, comes out of Corinthians 6.12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. You know, everything is okay, Paul is saying. But not everything is healthy, and not everything is profitable. There are many things that the Bible does not have a specific word about. So you know what? We have to think for ourselves. As Christians, we're not governed by a list of things. We have to ask, is this profitable? Will this help me grow as a Christian? Here's another option. Again, out of the same verse, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. There's a play on words in that verse, and it's this. I need to exercise the authority and the power not to let anything have authority or power over me. That is a vital step in our personal freedom. We have seen today people pay a terrible price for addictive lifestyles. The issues of drugs and alcohol perhaps come first to our mind. But there are many socially acceptable addictions that we may also need to avoid. There's nothing maybe harmful in them themselves, but they are harmful. We think of things like some foods, or coffee, or work, money, hobbies, television, email, iPods, videos. You've got to say, does that control me in some way? Does anything have power over you right now? Think about that. Here's the third option. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, not everything in my life is constructive. Some things may be fine, but not everything builds up. So we have to ask, will this weaken me, or will this strengthen me? All of this, working through this, is what makes us people of personal conviction. People who exercise freedom wisely. Remember, we do not give up rules and legalism for something looser but for something deeper. Once again, the depth and the quality of our Christian lives, our maturity in other words, will be forced by the choices we make in those areas where there is no clear list to follow. We don't have bylaws. We don't have a verse we go on. We have to depend on our own convictions. Here's a third question for Paul in our little Q&A session. Paul, do I have any responsibility to other people in the church? The answer is, yes we do. 
We're brothers and sisters, joined in the body of Christ. Verse 7, For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. Paul mentions in this chapter, a little earlier, two groups of people. He talks about strong and weak. Strong, he means the person who has worked through issues and come to a place of personal convictions. We tend to define a mature Christian as someone who has been a Christian for many years. That's not what the Bible says. Hebrews 5, chapter 5, defines Christian maturity this way. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Got it? We have trained ourselves to distinguish good and evil. Now, who is the weak Christian? Well, perhaps a new Christian, or someone who has a background in an area that would prevent them from participating, because that might draw them back into their old way of life. Let me tell you the story of a a man called Arnie came to my office one Friday afternoon. And um, Arnie was in the jeans and the chains and a big hairstyle. And I thought, oh dear, what are we into? And he said, I bought a Bible today and the Bible bookstore said that you would help me know how to become a Christian. Wow. So Arnie and I talked and he knelt down in my office and prayed. He accepted Jesus. And... Um, I asked him a little bit about his background. He went from bar to bar shooting pool. That's how Arnie made his living. He said he had a girlfriend. And when he didn't make enough money shooting pool, she was a dancer. We decided not to go into that at all. But just left that. Anyway, Arnie shot pool. I brought him over to Bible study in the next few weeks with some guys. And after the Bible study was over, they were at a pretty big house and a family room downstairs. And some of them went downstairs to shoot pool. That was just their fun, their diversion, their entertainment at the end of the day. And Arnie looked at me. And Arnie said, I can't go, I can't go there. I can't go downstairs. You understand why? Why? He chuckled. That was part of his old life. And Arnie just knew that he could not go back, go downstairs and be involved in that. Was there anything wrong with what they were doing? No. But for Arnie, no way. The guys didn't understand that, or they wouldn't have gone, I think. Anyway, I have actually no idea what happened to Arnie in his life or in mine anymore. I've never forgotten. The onus and weight of a relationship is always on the one who's stronger. Um, here's just a little segue, four practical words about getting, how do we live together in the Christian community? Uh, number one, we will choose to limit our personal freedom when someone would be misled. You know, Paul says in this chapter, verses 13, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. 